so open with me in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, open with me um, the, tonight uh, to Hebrews, not chapter 11, but Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And you'll see why here in a second. Hebrews chapter 12. And tonight is just very practical. There's, there's just some real practical instruction for us uh, as followers of Christ, of those of us who are Christians and, and we endeavor to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord. Some real practical things, even uh, some reminders that uh, I think will be a blessing to you. And so Hebrews chapter 12 now, we have gone all the way through Hebrews chapter 11, and I was looking at it tonight. It, we, we went through it in 20 weeks. So uh, t- tonight is the 21st week in this series, and we've been looking at the people of faith and how they lived for God and how they lived out their faith, even in the midst of hard and difficult times, and how that has been instructive for us who endeavor to live out our faith and an increasingly hostile world uh, to Christianity. Uh, you don't get any points for being a Christian today in, in our culture. And in, in fact, far the opposite, you, you get promoted, you get ahead by flying under another flag, under another banner other than Christ. And so how do we remain faithful to the Lord? And so we, we walked through all of these heroes of the faith and, and saw how they lived faithful to the Lord and, and, and how we can do it as well. And then we closed out Hebrews chapter 11 last week by looking at people who really overcame some very difficult circumstances and held on to their faith even through death. People who uh, were persecuted to the point of death and even died in faith. My brother Mark just brought me a timer, so apparently we're taking this really seriously tonight. Wow, okay, Uh, no pressure here. Uh, So so we we, we looked at people, the prophets who were persecuted so severely for their faith, and yet they they remained strong, they persevered. And how we looked at last week how our faith can even stay strong in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hard times, by reminding ourselves that God is sovereign, and that God is holy, that God is good. And so those two facts uh, pushed together, smashed together on God's character, help us to stay faithful to the Lord even in difficult times. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. And I think that Hebrews 12 is part of chapter 11. If, if it was up to me to put the chapter numbers in here, and the chapter and verse numbers are not inspired. They, they came much later. And so whoever put this 12 there, I think they would have done better to move it further down. And so tonight we're going to look at chapter 12, which I really think belongs to chapter 11. And so chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely... And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would just speak to us tonight, and Lord, help me to be brief and to the point, and so that I'm not a liar here tonight, but that I keep my word. In Jesus' name, amen. As, as he transitions here, he says, therefore. And so, again, as my grandma Bell taught me, whenever you see the therefore, you have to think about what it is therefore. And so what he's referring to is in light of Hebrews 11, in light of the way that we've walked through and seen how all of these people lived out their faith, he then goes on to say, now, therefore, this is how we should live in light of this. And then he likens the Christian life to a race, to running a race. Now, are any of you runners? Do any of you like to run? All right, two of you? Right, three? I, 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 I don't like running. I, I think running is, is a horrible thing. So, you know, we're all in the same boat against like three of those people that raise their hands. Why run when you can, you know, ride a bike or drive a car? But anyway, the... He, he likens this to a, a runner who's running a race. The Christian life is like running this race. And again, he talks about these witnesses, this cloud of witnesses. Now, you may know this, you may not, but the Greek word that's translated as witness is the Greek word is where we get our word martyr from. It's the word martus where we get our, our English word martyr from because to be a martyr, to, to die for your faith is to pay the ultimate witness for your faith. And so he says we're surrounded by this great cloud of, of witnesses or, or martyrs, if you will, the, those who have paid the ultimate price for their faith that he was talking about in Hebrews 11. And he says we're surrounded by them, that, that there are those who have gone before us in the faith. And they ran their race, and they ran their way, race well. They finished well. They crossed the finish line. But now it's our turn to run our race. And all of us as Christians, we have a race to run. The Christian life, he likens it to this race. There is a, a starting point, and there is an end point. And the question that all of us have to answer is, will we finish this race? Will we finish this race? Will we run it well? Will we make it to the end? Will we cross that finish line, the finish line of our life? And when we do so, will we be in the faith? Or will we be like so many who have started with Christ? but somehow got distracted, somehow got pulled away, somehow the, the course of life, the events of their life pulled them away from their faith in God. You know, Jesus told the story of the, the sower who went out and sowed his seed and, and that some fell on sto stony ground and some fell on the pathway and the birds came and ate it and some sprang up quickly and and then the, the sun scorched it. And, but then there was some seed that fell on good soil. And it produced a great harvest. W what will we be like? Will we be like those that, 
maybe sprung up, maybe showed some good fruit for a while, but the cares of this life choked out the word of God? Or will we make it all the way to the end? On the last day of our life, whenever that day would be, when we draw our last breath, will we draw it in faith and finish our race? And we all have a race to run. And this race he he talks about, I I think about it like a relay race. That every generation that, that goes before us, they run their race and then they hand the faith on to us. And then we run our race. And through their lives, this great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, they bore witness to the truth. Their race that they ran, even in the Bible, and and even as we look down through church history, and, and even in our own church history, we see many faithful men and women of God that ran their race and ran it well. I think of Brother Beatles. You know, someone who lived to be a hundred years old, who was faithful to the Lord to the end and ran his race well. You know, these, these names, these people that we knew, that they bear witness to us by the race that they ran. And likewise, we have a race to run as well. All of us, all of us know people. All of us have people that know us and are watching our race. Your kids are watching your race. Your coworkers, your friends, your family, the race you're running, the Christian life you are living is bearing witness to the God that you serve. None of us are in isolation. None of us are separated from everyone. We all, our lives all touch others. And so it's imperative not only for our souls, but the souls of the people that we love, that we run our race well and that we run it faithfully and that we finish strong. And if we're going to do that, there are some things that we have to do. And he gives us three imperatives in this passage to run our race well. Three things that we must do if we're going to finish the race and finish it strong. And so I want to look at these three imperatives, these three action verbs that he calls upon us to put into place in our lives. So because we've surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who ran their race, he says, let us also lay aside, this is the first one, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. You know, if a runner is going to run a race when, when people train to run races, they, how do they train? I, I've heard of people doing this. I've never, never done this myself. I have enough weight to carry on my own if I want to run. But I've heard that people have strapped weights onto themselves to, to build up their endurance. Have you heard about that? That just sounds like torture to me. Nevertheless, when it's time to run the race, they don't come to the starting line with the weights on. If they're going to run the race and win the race and do well in the race, they have to lay aside every weight. And see, when you watch the Olympics, you watch these Olympic runners, and and they are lean, mean running machines. You know, they have body fat in the 0.0 percentage. They do not live in San Antonio, Texas. They do not live with Las Palapas and Chachos and Mama Margie's and Alamo Cafe and Mamacita's 
within walking distance, right? They, they, they do not live here. They do not eat what we eat. Why? Because their diet, what they take in, is meant to, to not put on excess weight. They must shed that weight if they're going to run well. And he says that we must lay aside every weight. And then he goes on to say, he clarifies what that weight is. And he says, it is the sin which clings so closely. The sin that clings to us so closely. It is the things that we hold on to. It is the sin in our lives that we hold on to that stops us from running our race and from running our race well. So I want to ask you tonight, what is stopping you from from running after Jesus, from pursuing him, from from living the Christian life? What is stopping you from running that race as fast as you can? What are the weights that you're holding on to that are holding you back? He says we must lay them aside. We must put them aside. What are you holding on to? Sometimes it hurts from the past that we hold on to. Sometimes it's little pet sins that we indulge in. That we we lie to ourselves and we say, ah, it's just a it's just a little sin. God doesn't really care about this. That's not true. It's not true. The Bible says that sin is like a cancer. That seems really small, it seems really insignificant, but if not dealt with, if not treated, when it is full grown, it, it brings death. That we have to root out sin, we have to lay aside sin. If we're going to faithfully run our race, we must lay aside every weight and that sin which clings to us so closely. John Owen, who was arguably the greatest English Puritan, he famously wrote this about sin. His famous statement on sin, he wrote a lot on sin, but his famous statement that really stands out is this. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You. How do we do this? How do we put sin to death in our lives? How do we attack the the sin that clings so closely? How do we lay it aside? There's three things I want to leave with you uh, tonight on this first point. Don't forget, we're still on the first point. We got two more points after this, but I got three points on the first point. The first point in killing sin is we do it through the sword of the Spirit. Through the sword of the Spirit. We wield the sword of the Spirit in our own lives. The psalmist David writes in Psalm 119, verse 25, he says, My soul clings to the dust. That's the earth. That's the world. He's talking about the affections of his heart, that there's a part in him, in his soul, that just wants the earthly, wants the fleshly. Don't we see that in effect in his life when he sins with Bathsheba? A man who was led astray by his lust, led astray by his passion. He says, my soul clings to the dust. But he says, give me life according to your word. 
What do we do? How do we put sin to death? How do we deal with a soul that clings to the dust? We realize that it is in the word of God that we find life. The word of God, the sword of the spirit that sets us free from these inordinate desires, these desires that seek to be satisfied in a way that is contrary to God's design. More famously in Psalms 119.11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He, he takes God's word, he memorizes God's word, he meditates on God's word, the sword of the spirit, and as he does, it begins to change his own heart that his heart might not sin against God. Psalm 40, 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written on my heart. We must use the sword of the Spirit. We must hide God's word in our heart. We must study it. We must read it. We must meditate upon it. And as we do that, we find that it actually has an effect on our souls. Again, I talked to you about the runner's diet, these Olympians, these peak performers. They're not eating junk food. There's no vending machines in the locker room full of Cheetos and Doritos and every other kind of Edo that, that just, is just empty calories and empty fat. No, no they, they have a a well-restricted diet. And likewise, we as Christians, we need to be very careful about what we feed on. Is it eternal? Is it spiritual? Is it godly? Is it building us up? You know, there, there's just a, a smorgasbord. There's a whole buffet of options to feed our souls on today. From the news to social media to entertainment to YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. They keep inventing apps to, to, to grab our attention, to feed our souls. But David says, I have hidden your word in my heart that, that you give me life according to your word. As we spend time in God's word, that it changes our heart. It has an effect in our souls. It changes even our affections. It brings our affections, our desires into alignment with God and his will. John Bunyan, who is the author of uh, Outside of the Bible, the, the greatest selling book ever written, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan had these words written on the inside of his Bible. When after he died, they found his Bible, they found these words written on the inside. He said, he had written this, quote, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. The sword of the spirit, it has a protective element to it. It, it, it. Not only can it be used for offense, it can be used for defense in wielding off temptation as we spend time in God's word. The second thing that we can do to lay aside sin, to kill sin, as, as John Owen said, is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to listen to the warning of God in our souls. 
Jesus said that one of the works of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 8, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Conviction of sin. When we sin, do we listen to that convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Now, that's not an easy voice to listen to. It's often painful to fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a certain element of sorrow and even we're ashamed when we sin. But I want to encourage you, do not ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do not ignore that prick, that still small voice. So often people try to drown out that voice with other voices. They try to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it is It is in itself a a painful voice, a painful process to fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to be set free of sin, if we're going to put sin to death, we must listen to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And when he does, you need to listen to it. You need to listen to him. So often... When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we try to justify ourselves. At least that's what I do. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not really a sin. It's, you know, what does it really say in the Greek and the Hebrew? You know, you look for all these ways that you can get out of it. You, You even can begin to compare yourself to other people. Have you ever done that? Well, I'm not as bad as so and so. And hey, they're doing this and they're doing that. And. That's so often a trap of the enemy, comparing ourselves with one another. The Bible strictly forbids us from doing that. In fact, we're taught to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Not to worry about how somebody else is running their race, but for us to follow the race, for us to live the life that God is calling us to live. And the life he calls us to live, it might be different from the person running the race next to you. And so we cannot look at at how another believer is living their life and the convictions that they're living under and, and say, well, I'll just live under their convictions. No, we must live under the conviction that the Holy Spirit puts us under for ourselves. Because we all have a unique race to run. And so we cannot ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We can't justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to one another. We must come under the conviction of the Spirit. And then number three, we must confess our sin. We must confess our sin. We we must look it square in the face, identify it for what it is, not delude ourselves, calling it a mistake, calling it a hang-up, calling it an issue, all of the things that we label sin as today to try and soften the blow. No, we, we label it for what it is, and then we confess it. First, we confess our sins to God. 1 John 1.19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we take our sins to God. We repent of sin. We confess it to him. 
And then there's a second aspect of confession where we not only confess our sin to God, but where we confess our sins to one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we confess our sins to God. We first take it to God. We confess, we repent. And then secondly, there comes a time where we need to take our sins to one another, to a a brother or a sister in Christ that can pray for us. And so the question arises, well, how do you know? How do I know if I need to confess this to God alone or to God and others? And I would say one, one rule of thumb is you need to confess to others when you are not walking in victory. When, when, when confession to God is not enough, when, when, when that sin, it's not being dealt with, when, when it's still coming up and it's still arising and the temptation is still winning, time after time after time, you take it to the Lord and, and it's still there. When, when you're not walking in victory over sin, that is the time when it's time to call in backup. It's time to get help. It's time to reach out and make, uh, uh, make um, avail ourselves of, of the, the, the body of Christ that God has placed us in. And that we take this sin to a trusted brother if we're a man, to a trusted sister if we're a woman, to, to our spouse if we're married and we, we take it and we confess it and then we pray for one another. And the Bible says when we do that, that we will be healed. That we will be healed. In John, First uh, John, it talks about walking in the light. That when we bring things to the light, the, the light comes in and it brings healing to our life and to our souls. So how do we deal with sin? Number one, through the word of God. The word of God. We hide it in our hearts. We spend time meditating on it, studying it. Through the conviction of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit convicts our hearts of sin. And then through confession. Confession to God and to others. And as we do that, we will find that we begin to lay aside those weights that are holding us back from running the race that God has for us to run. Number two, the second imperative, if we want to finish well the race that God has for us, make it to the end in faith, being a good witness to our friends and loved ones and the generations that come up behind us. The second thing he says that we must do is that we must not only lay aside every weight and sin, but we must also, number two, run with endurance. The race that is set before us. We must run with endurance. Endurance. That means that it's going to take some effort to run this race. It's not always going to be the wind at your back and all downhill. There, there's some uphill to this race. There's some mountains to climb. There's There's some hot, blazing Texas heat sun in our face and wind. It's not always 
uh, easy, this race that we run, it, it requires endurance. And this word endurance in the Greek is the Greek word hupomone, and it has with it the idea of consistency, consistency. That this race that we run is not just a Sunday race. It's not just on the Lord's Day when we gather with God's people that we run the race. It's not just an every other day of the week race that we run. No, that this race that we run, it is a daily race. To run this race with endurance means with consistency that every day we run this race. That every day we wake up, we, we lace up our shoes to run the race. That every day we're going to battle sin. Every day we're going to be in the word. Every day we're going to be in prayer. Every day we're, we're worshiping the Lord. Every day for the rest of our lives. That's endurance. That's what he's talking about. If we're going to run this race and finish it well... We will not be distracted from the left and to the right on this thing and that thing and this issue and that issue. No, we have to first and foremost keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Daily in the word, daily in prayer, daily in worship. Running with endurance. That means digging deep when things are hard. And this is especially where godly fellowship and relationships come into play. This is where if we're going to make it for the long haul, it's so much easier if we have people that are running the race with us, where we're not alone, where we're not isolated, where we have people that we can confide in and confess to and be accountable to, where we have people that are running alongside of us, when we fall, when we get tired, when we get weak, they can say, come on, let's, let's go. They can give us strength. They can give us encouragement. If we're going to run with endurance, we have to be in Christian fellowship. We have to be in relationship with other believers who can encourage us in the Lord. And number three, if we're going to finish strong and be faithful to the Lord in our race. Yes, we must lay aside every weight and sin. Yes, we must run with endurance the race that is set before us. But finally, number three, we have to, as he says, look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Verse two, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We must keep our eyes on Jesus as we run this race. There are, as I said, so many things that would distract us to take our eyes off of Christ. We are constantly bombarded with things that... that scream for our attention. The world today is run on attention. Uh, your eyeballs are the greatest asset that the world is trying to capture constantly. Uh, any app, any media, any uh, site, website 
their, their number one metric that they're measuring is engagement, trying to keep you on the app, trying to keep you in it. And, and oftentimes these apps, these websites, the, the news media, they will do and say whatever they can to keep your eyeballs on them so they can sell advertisements and make money. So there, there, there's this great push to take our eyes off of Jesus today. We need to recognize that. We need to recognize that we can become easily distracted and we can easily take our eyes off of Jesus. I want to remind you of Peter when he walked on water. Do you remember the story? He actually walked on water. That's pretty amazing. We don't know how many steps he took. Even if he took one, that was, that was more than I'll ever take. He, he got out of the boat and he walked on water with Jesus in the middle of the storm. But then he began to sink. But something happened before he began to sink. The Bible says that he, when he got out of the boat and he was walking towards Jesus, that he had his eyes fixed on Christ. But then he was distracted. He thought, what am I doing? I'm walking on water. This is crazy. And he looked at the waves and the storm that was surrounding him. And as he took his eyes off of Jesus... And onto the storms, he began to sink. His, his faith was diminished. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. Jesus, of course, does what he does to anyone who cries out for salvation. He reaches down and saves him. And then they get back to the boat and he asks, or he, he says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith. And I look at that and I say, Jesus, he at least got on the water. I mean... Oh, you have little faith. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He says to put our eyes on Jesus and to see as he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That means our faith starts with him. He called us. He chose us. He, through the power of his spirit, convicted us, drew us to himself, called our name. We're all called by name. Saved us through his power, through his work on the cross. Our, our, the race that we run didn't start with us. He put us on this track. He called us out of the crowd. He, he, he put his spirit in us. He is the author of our faith, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. As we run our race, he is the one who is perfecting us, who is there right alongside with us, giving us his strength, giving us his power. And it says that we need to look to him, we need to consider him and the race that he ran and how he went to the cross, endured the cross willingly. When, when Jesus came and ran his race, he knew where it ended. He knew what it would cost him. Yet he came anyway for the joy that was set before him. And so whatever price we must pay to follow Christ as we look to him and we see the price that he paid to redeem us, Whatever sacrifice we must make in return pales in comparison to the price that he paid to redeem us. Enduring the cross, it says. 
But it goes on to say that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so if we are going to look to Jesus, what it requires us to do is to look up. To look up to the one who is enthroned in heaven. To look up to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To look up to the one who, yes, died, but who rose again. To the one who defeated death. To the one that the Bible says death could not hold him. Who rose in victory and who is now seated at the right hand of God. King of kings, Lord of lords. The one that the, the multitudes worship, that the throngs of heaven worship continuously, day and night, night and day, pouring out their praise upon him. The one who we sang about tonight, the one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. If we're going to look to Jesus, we have to look up and remind ourselves of the price that he paid, of, of the sacrifice that he made, but also remind ourselves that he is the one who has all power and has all authority in heaven and on earth. That he is the one who is the king of the kings. That he is the Lord of the lords. He is the judge over the judges. He, he is the ultimate supreme being of all the universe. And he is the one who has called us to run this race. We need to keep our eyes on him. Lifting our eyes up to the one who is seated on the throne of thrones. It's very easy to maintain a, a horizontal gaze. It's very easy to just look at the situation and the circumstance and what's going around, on around us and what's happening in our world. And I don't think that we should turn a blind eye to that. I, I think we need to be aware of what's happening if we're going to run our race. We need to know how to use the word of God and take a stand and, and not be deceived by the world, knowing the truth of God's word. But we are victorious in Christ. We, we serve the king of kings. We, we, we don't serve some wimpy fairy tale. We serve Jesus Christ. We need to remind ourselves of that when we run this race. We need to remind ourselves the one when we feel weak, when we're tired, when it's hard to endure, when we don't know if we can keep on. We need to remind ourselves of the, the one whose spirit lives inside of us. And we do that by lifting up, looking up, taking our eyes off of what my dad used to call the nasty now and now. And place our, our eyes on eternity, eternal things. My grandma, she used to do this when, when people would call her. Their lives were a mess. They got fired. The issue with their husband or whatever. They, you know, they would call her all in a mess, all in a tizzy. She would stop them immediately and say, go read 15 chapters in the Bible and call me back. And she would hang up the phone. That's what she would do. 
And there ha- there's something that happens when you take your eyes off of the issues and you remind yourself of some eternal truths that you steady your heart. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, steady yourselves in this, that I have overcome the world. We need to look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So the heroes of the faith, we looked at them in Hebrews chapter 11. They ran their race. They finished their course. They were faithful to the end. Will we be like them? Will we finish our race? Will you finish your race? Not running your neighbor's race, not running another person's race. The race that God has set before you. Will you finish your race? And will you finish it strong? I know that is what you want. If we're going to do what we want, if, if the, I know that that desire is in your heart. But if we're going to do that, we need to heed the words of the writer of Hebrews. If we're going to finish our race strong, we need to lay aside sin. We need to put sin to death in our lives. We need to look to Jesus. And we need to run with endurance. Amen? I invite you to stand with me tonight. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we stand tonight, we stand in faith. In faith in you. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, you endured so much as you did what the Father had laid out for you to do as you went to the cross and died for our sin. And now you call us also, as we have been born again through your Spirit, you call us also to put sin to death in our lives, to take up our cross and to follow you daily. You call us to run with endurance the race you've called us to run. So Lord, help us through the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, through Christian friends and through Christian fellowship. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to look up in our moment of need. Help us not to become distracted by the storms, even the storms of our own life, the storms that may be happening to us personally, but to look unto you the author and the perfecter of our faith and that when we do, we know that you are there running alongside of us, that you are there helping us to run with endurance. Lord, I pray that each one of us would run our race well and that we would finish it strong. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.